Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Now, if you're a regular listener to this program, you'll be well aware that UBS is interested in addressing the big questions that shape our world. To help best answer them, they sought out a number of Nobel laureates in the economic sciences to ask them to share insights, discuss their research and open their ever-inquiring minds. This week, we're lucky enough to be joined on the show by not one, but two of these talented laureates, the brilliant Robert Wilson and Paul Milgram, who won the Nobel Prize in 2020 for their work on auction theory. It's a huge pleasure to welcome Robert and Paul to the programme. Robert Wilson and Paul Milgram were co-awarded the prize in 2020 for improvements to auction theory and the inventions of new auction formats. But before we dive into the Nobel work, the two have a pretty unique origin story. So I asked Paul Milgram to recount how they met and the creative way that he made sure Bob Wilson knew who he was. I came back to Stanford intending to get an MBA, but I was always really research-minded and I moved into a decision sciences program. And in the program, a student a year ahead of me, Bengt Holmstrom, who's also a Nobel laureate, was uh, my classmate, and he said, get Bob Wilson to be your advisor. So I took a class of Bob's in which um, one of the papers he taught was his own auction paper. And I figured the way I would get Bob interested in me would be to write my term paper improving what he had done. And that was it. As I was reading about auctions, I was amazed that you could use mathematics and such a sophisticated way to study human behavior and in a real economic institution. And my work for Bob worked out really well. I was able to substantially generalize what he had been working on before. He got very excited, said, you're going to be my student, and uh, this is almost a dissertation. What exactly is the theory of auctions? Auctions are a particular way of organizing transactions the thing about an auction is it's a set of rules that can be applied in almost any circumstance. So if, if participants show up, they know what to do, they can submit their bids or offers, and we have a set of rules that uh, resolve the transactions. It's a well-formulated set of procedural rules that determine how people participate and what the outcome will be. And it's so widely used for so many goods. I mean, it could be tulips in Holland, or it could be fish in Saigon, or Ho Chi Minh City now. These days, we think of auctions in a very general sense, because all the auctions that are very familiar are very standardized, but there are all these novel forms of auctions that uh, have come into being. In fact, that's what market design is now, is creating new forms of auctions. Paul Milgram, you wrote a book, Putting Auction Theory to Work. Can you talk a little about the evolution of auction theory? Game theory was just coming into economics back then, and people were trying to understand, could you analyze different economic institutions that way? Not a lot was done before Bob got into the field, and what Bob was interested in was in, in basic economics, we would have supply curves and demand curves that says where these curves cross determines price and quantity. But Bob said, how does that happen in the world? If we want to understand how things really operate, do people make bids? How do they work? Where do prices come from? And, and so Bob began this work on where do prices come from? And part of my work went that way too. But at the same time, some of it was also, what about these harder resource allocation problems for which prices haven't worked in the past? Can we, now that we understand better 
how these ways of forming prices and determining allocations work. Can we do it in things that we've never been able to do it before? And uh, the radio spectrum became a big one. Well, I'd love to talk about that next. The two of you won the Nobel Prize for your work around auctions. And the auction work you're most known for was redesigning how the FCC, that's the Federal Communications Commission in the US, approached the sale of, of their spectrum licenses. What was happening that meant a redesign was needed? There was a lot of discontent here in the United States that Europe was way ahead in implementing cell phones. You could see a television program where the, in Europe or in England or France or somebody, they have these big bulky cell phones, but at least they had them, whereas in the United States they were not available. And the United States had been so slow to develop a cell phone service because of the system by which they allocated licenses. In the mid-1980s, when cell phone technology first began to become commercially viable at a small scale, the FCC, which gave out radio spectrum licenses, started getting many more applications for people who wanted to set up cell phone services. Before then, they had comparative hearings. If you wanted to start a television station and one of your colleagues also wanted to start one on the same frequency, they would have a hearing and say, well, which would best serve the public interest? And that was a very time-consuming, legalistic process, and they couldn't do that for hundreds of radio licenses that people wanted for uh, cell phones. So they asked for authorization from Congress to use uh, an auction, but the Democrats controlled the uh, Congress, and the Republicans controlled the White House, and they couldn't agree on anything. And it wasn't until the Clinton White House, when the Democrats controlled both the uh, Congress and the White House, that they agreed on an auction system, and then the FCC wasn't sure what to do because this was much more complicated than any traditional auction. There were big companies that wanted to set up nationwide systems and they wanted to buy licenses covering the entire United States, as is typical for spectrum licenses in Europe these days. And there were small companies that we already had in place that were local telephone companies. There were just dozens of these companies and they wanted to be able to augment their local wireline. So it was complicated and nobody knew what to do. And so they wrote up some rules that didn't make a lot of sense and uh, asked for comment. Was there any internal pushback to redesign the allocation of these licences? A lot of institutions and government bodies aren't keen to start entirely new ways of doing things from scratch. Within the Federal Communications Commission, a group of economists, famously a man named Evan Quirrell, who pushed for the FCC to consider a competitive process for allocating the licenses. So when the United States was ready to start allocating spectrum, they said we will eliminate this old process of allocating spectrum. We will do it instead on the basis of bidding in some form. So there was this big question of what, what will the form be? Will it be an auction? If so, what kind of an auction and how will it proceed? Of course, the proposals from the professional auctioneers was, oh, that we could do this whole thing in a day. If you let us do it, we can sell the license every five minutes. Boom, 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 and we'll get this whole thing done. And here the economists are saying, no, we're gonna take you know six months to sell these. We're gonna make it move slowly. We're gonna use a very elaborate auction design. And so what's the design your team ultimately pitched? I was the front man for team and, and I worked with Evan Quirrell who I always like to mention when I'm doing these things because he just wanted to do the right thing 
And we had long conversations, and he became convinced that I wanted to do the right thing too. And uh, so they adopted lock, stock, and barrel, the proposals that Bob and I made. And it became an international standard. It was copied widely around the world after we did it. So that was how it started. I have to tell you a story about where our auction design came from. Before the FCC auction, one of my children was going to a private school, um, and uh, they had had a charity auction the year before. And uh, I was very interested in this charity auction they ran. They had a bunch of tables set out before dinner, and they had a whole variety of items that had been donated that were for sale. And next to each item, there was a sign-up sheet, and you could write your name in a bid. And uh, this would go on for an hour and a half or so before dinner, and then there would be a bell, and the auction was over, and they would collect the winning bids. And um, I remember thinking, there are a few things here I'm interested in. There's a couple of bottles of wine. I'd like there's a couple of these vacation houses that you could rent. And so you'd walk around and you'd substitute among them. But I noticed that some people were just walking around doing nothing. And then at the end, they would walk up just before the bell rang and finally put in their bid and win the items. So this was an auction in which the items were interrelated. You, I wanted some combination, but not too many and in which the bidders, however, could game the system by waiting till the end and then putting in their bids without anybody getting an opportunity to respond. So the proposal that Bob and I made is that everything is for sale at once, but it's gonna go in a series of rounds. And if you don't bid in some round, then you're not eligible to bid in the next round either. You can't wait till the end. And we had what we called an activity rule that said you can't increase your bidding activity during the course of the auction. That was a huge innovation. We called it a simultaneous multiple round auction. And the rounds let us keep track of activity. That activity rule, together with the rule that says the auction doesn't end until there's no new bids, ensured that, uh, at least in the context of the first auction, that competition worked effectively. And then we also said, and the auction doesn't end until there's no new bids for an item. So it can't be that you get in a bid right at the end and nobody has a chance to respond. And those were the two differences between our auction and this charity auction. And then it was done electronically, it could be done remotely, there were a lot of details that were technologically related. But that set of rules made a vast difference in the way the auction worked. At face value, the idea of creating an auction for something as intangible to the average person as Spectrum licenses seems quite complex. But in your expert opinions, what actually makes an auction complex? The famous uh, simple auction is the flower auction in Holland because the price clock comes down, boom, 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 somebody pushes the button that stops the clock, that batch of flowers is sold at that price. And it all happens very quickly. So that's an auction designed to move goods quickly. There are others where you want to move slowly. In the case of the Spectrum auctions, the very first ones here in the United States, we're talking about licenses that had values of several hundreds of millions of dollars and bid increments that were mandatory of like 5%. Well, 5% of a $200 million bid price, $10 million. For many companies, that has to go through the finance committee of the board of directors of the company. So it could not move quickly because these companies need time to respond. So that was a case where the auction moved very slowly. There was one bidding period, bids one morning and one afternoon. 
four or five days a week, and it went on for months. That's a case in which you really have to think ahead about the problems that the bidders have in terms of marshalling, well, first of all, to know what they want, what they're willing to pay for these various things, but also marshalling resources. So some cases, you want to move slowly, you want to allow for the processing of very complex and difficult decisions. In other cases, like the flower auctions, the priority is to get those batches of flowers through the trading post quickly so that every 10 seconds they have a new batch of flowers sold. A final question I'd like to put to both of you. What is it about auctions, game theory or mechanism design that drew you to the field and has kept you there for the better part of your careers? Mostly I'm interested in kind of strategic behaviour, particularly the role of information and in its uncertainty. And each of these is really an application area where things like auctions, it's very important the private information people have when they prepare bids. If it's a, say, industrial organization, well, there's all of this uh, jockeying for position among firms. They have incomplete information about each other, bargaining kinds of problems. So I really think of it as just a multi-person decision theory, because that's what I studied in my earlier years, was just individual decision theory. And then I had this motive to, to try to create a multi-person decision theory. Some of that developed as a, a separate theory, but most of it evolved into game theory. So I just adopted a lot of game theory methodology. There was a meeting a few years ago when Morton Kamian, who helped put together this group, referred back to the period when I was sitting on the same corridor with Ben Tomstrom and Roger Meyerson and Nancy Stokey and others. On the one hand, we were competing. On the other hand, we were all friends. We were all making suggestions to one another and we had no clue, actually, about how important the whole package of work was going to be. I think there were two things that were going on that were very important. One was we happened to be working in a really important area, and that certainly was part of it. But it wasn't only the people who worked in that area that were thriving. There was just this intellectual excitement. And I think that part of what it was was social. That is, it was a group of people who we were competing, we were looking around, we were actually told that, you know, on average, half the people here will get tenure, ha <laughs> ha, right? They didn't say half of us were gonna win Nobel Prizes, which is the way it actually turned out. Extraordinary insights from the brilliant Nobel Prize winning economists, Robert Wilson and Paul Milgram there, wrapping up this very latest special edition of the Bulletin with UBS here on Monocle 24. Find out more and delve into the archive of past conversations with other remarkable laureates at monocle.com. And to read more from and about Wilson and Milgram and to discover how Nobel perspectives shaped the UBS worldview, head to ubs.com forward slash Nobel. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.